10. I'm going to invite you now to turn to Exodus chapter 19 as we continue in our sermon series. I hope you're doing well. Uh, to set the stage for our text this morning, I'm going to tell you a story, something that happened to me on Monday. I take my two little ones to the pool, South Bay Aquatics, if you know it, and we were there on Monday, and we got to the pool, everyone was excited, and then we realized that uh, my little one, three-year-old Glory, did not have her swim goggles, even though our whole, her older brother, Remy, six, did, and of course you know that that's, that's a no-go, right? Three-year-olds gotta have uh, at least equal, if not more, than the rest. Um, and, and so I remembered that at the front desk there was a place where you could buy goggles, so I made a promise to my little girl, I'll go buy you some goggles. Well, when we got to the front, I was talking to the nice lady up there, she said, well, you can buy the goggles or you can borrow some goggles. And then she brought out this box that was like a hundred goggles of leftover from children, of course, that uh, have left their goggles over and over and over and over again. And, and so I was like, well, of course, we did what anyone would do, right? You go for the, the borrow bin. And so we open that up and her eyes light up. She gets a choice from you know, anything she wants. Of course, she picks the pink uh, Minnie Mouse goggles, and she's very excited. She skips over to the pool, and Dad feels like he has a great victory. Everyone's good. We get to the end of uh, swimming. We go back, and one thing Dad didn't calibrate was uh, borrowing versus purchasing. And so when the time came for little Glory Rose to give her goggles back, that was the moment where everything went wrong and she started losing her mind. And of course, this repeated phrase, I, don't, I didn't know a kid could say this as many times as she said it, but she just said, I want mommy, I want mommy, over and over and over. And you know, all the kids turn and everybody working there is looking on. And uh, she says it as we walk to the car, she says it as we're in the car, she says it as we get home, and she keeps saying over and over and over again, I want mommy, I want mommy, I want mommy. Of course, just to make me feel so good, right? Um, and, and this morning, I just want us to think on tantrums. We've had a tough week, haven't we? Um, and uh, there's a, a lot of reasons to pay attention to our emotion in this season. I want to show you a picture of one of my favorite all-time internet tantrums. I don't know if you remember this one. It's a little girl at the beach. Do you know her? So this is a little girl who had such a meltdown at the beach, she just said, you know what, I'm just going to have a nap right here, right on this wet sand. Um, maybe you've experienced this week of overwhelm like I have. Um, it's been a week where there's just been a lot of bad news. Uh, and continuous, uh, just repeated things from the external world um, that we get in real time now in a way that we never have before, just of all these difficulties going on in our world, and maybe some of them are affecting you personally. And so I just want to create a framework even now for the tantrum. Um, and, and it does fit into the text contextually, 
because what we're going to read is actually out of a season of a type of tantrum that the Israelites are having. Um, they have been delivered out of slavery um, and they are now wandering in the wilderness, chapter 16 through 18, depict this season of complaint and grumbling to the point where in Exodus they're actually asking to go back to Egypt where things were simpler, to go back to slavery, um, to go back to what they knew because what they were in in the current moment was so difficult. This week I, I listened to a podcast that was an interview with a, a news team about their PTSD from having to share repeated bad news 24-7 to keep the public informed about all of the terrible things that are going on in the world. And frankly, the human psyche was not built to receive so much information and be repeating that much information that is all negative. Um, and, and, and you can get to a point where you can't see ahead of yourself. You can get to those moments, can't you, where things are so overwhelming. Maybe this is a week like that for you. Maybe it's not. But you can think of a time. And I think this is where the, the God's people were at. They were in a season where they had seen some great things, but they were now only seeing the challenges. They were wondering, God, are we ever going to get to the promised land? Are we ever going to get to what you said we were going to get to? Are you good on your promise? All we're seeing right now is what's hard. And so are my circumstances ever going to change? Or are we just doomed to be wandering in the wilderness forever. And so God, uh, again, speaks in the story, and so this will be our text as he meets them in the midst of this challenging moment from Exodus 19. He says this. Well, I'll begin with verse 1, sets the context, and we'll go. It says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they sent out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountains. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and said before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answers back to the Lord. A couple of observations as we look at this just beginning part of Exodus chapter 19. The first one, and this is kind of review from last week, is that covenant is about a mutual abiding fidelity. Now, this means that God is coming in a moment where Israel is upset and frustrated and hurting, and he, again, is pledging himself. He's actually renewing his covenant, the covenant that we learned about last week that he made with Abraham 
um, where he promised that out of Abraham's line that a people would come. Well, the people is now here, um, and they're complicated, and uh, they're struggling. And yet God in this moment, not a perfect moment for them, actually comes in the midst of their messiness, and he says, I'm going to make you my people. Um, I'm going to renew my covenant vow, the promise that I made 400 years earlier, I'm here to make with the people now. And there's some serious promises that are being made in the text. In fact, you can see that God has this plan. He sees potential in these people. Um, I'm sure in a way that they probably can't see themselves at the moment. And he says, yes, you, you, out of you, I'm going to make my treasured possession, a priesthood, royalty. Out of you, I'm going to do that. And this ground of covenant making was the, the bedrock for this people. Now, as we think about uh, kind of where we're at contextually in our life and, and how that comes to the sermon, I think also we can look at what Walter Brueggemann also reminds us about this text. That in fact, as you move in scripture to the Psalms, that most of the tantrums, the lament Psalms, um, are actually out of these promises. That God's people actually bring to bear God's promise through covenant to God. And they lament over where they've lost their way, and also they ask God, God, have you lost your way? And there's 50 lament psalms. You know, we don't always talk about lament psalms because at church we're always supposed to be happy. But the scripture is very comfortable with these types of challenges this way of speaking to God, you know? And, and so Psalm 44 is an example I'll read to you. It says, Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not neglect us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. One way we might speak of this is to say, knock, knock. God, are you there? Have you seen what is going on? Have you seen what's going on in Afghanistan? Have you seen what's going on in Haiti? Have you seen the fires in Northern California? Knock, knock, God, have you seen the Delta variant? And I think most of us if we're willing to admit it, we get to these moments of overload and overwhelm. And we receive the bad news. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to be within it. And so one of the things we need to understand is that that's okay to bring to God. That it is okay for you to spend some time with God and not just some time encountering the news or trying to unpack it with your friend who doesn't know any more than you do about it and actually go to your heavenly Father and just bring your concerns to your heavenly Father. And he can take whatever your concern is. He's aware of what's going on. 
But did you notice at the end of this psalm, it's really fascinating that after all of this complaint, are you awake, Lord? Will you wake up for us, God? It says, verse 26 at the end, rescue us because of your unfailing love. One of the things that I learned as a parent that I did not know before was that when your child is tantruming and they're, they're freaking out and, and yelling for mom because, of course, it's all your fault, they'll be upset, repeated with you over and over and over and over again. But here's the thing. At some point, they come back to you. And the person who caused their offense is also the one who has to bring them comfort. And I can still remember the first time I saw this happen, my child so frustrated and upset with me, only to eventually come over to me and ask me to lift her up and have all those tears and snot come and just rest on my shoulder. And so the, the, the one who offended is also the one who brings comfort. This became true for the Israelites out of this covenant. This is what is so fascinating about what's happening here in the text. That out of this relationship of appeal and response, appeal and response, and this reality that God is the only one who could bring them comfort, they learned and it, it became this bedrock hope for the community. Anytime they were struggling, this was the appeal that they made. God, you pledged yourself. These are your promises. And we will change in order to return back to you again. And so we might ask, we might ask ourselves, uh, how are we doing with God's promises today? And one of the ways that God makes this appeal to them is by telling the story of what he has already done by bearing testimony and saying, remember, would you remember that I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself? Maybe if emotionally this morning we don't feel like we're having one of those on fire Holy Spirit moments, what we can do instead is remember the times where God's faithfulness brought us through where God met us and it made a difference, met us in a friend, met us in a community of people, met us with providence. Because God is making this appeal. In fact, even though Israel is tantruming that actually for the last 19 chapters, the main actor within the text is God. And so it's easy for us to lose sight of what God has done and what he is doing in our challenging moments. So we, we learn to remember, we learn to practice remembrance and to really reframe what's going on in the context of what God has already done. Most of how we know how God is working is when we look back on it. In the moment, it's hard for us to know all the ways God is working in our lives, but when we look back, we can see his faithfulness throughout the years. And so if you have that, those are the things that give you the hope to endure, to, to call to mind these types of testimonies or to create them. And then 
the text goes on, now if you obey me and fully, fully and keep my command, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And the way I think we can look at it today, that, that God wants to make a standout people, a people that don't look like the rest of the group. I have an image for that. Um, this is a group of silly people called the Cacophony Society that in the early 90s, I think we have it, uh, did all kinds of silly pranks in San Francisco. And one of the pranks they did is they dressed up like salmon, I mean, salmon and <laughs> not salmon, and they went to a, the marathon and they ran it the opposite direction, okay? So like all good salmon do, they went the opposite direction of the marathon. I'm sure that uh, troubled many of the marathon runners. But in fact, Nike saw this and picked it up and made an entire campaign about it. But this is what we're talking about when we're talking about becoming a treasured possession, a standout type people. God's people going in a different direction. You see, uh, the Ten Commandments, Walter Brueggemann helps us to realize, can actually be seen in the view of, in contrast to Pharaoh's Ten Commandments. And in contrast to Pharaoh's way, let me give you a new way of being. Instead of going back to slavery, which you're asking for, let me show you how to live as a people who are truly free. So in places like Deuteronomy, we also see the Ten Commandments. There we see the description of the, the graven images that Israelites are not to worship. It says this, Do not covet the silver and gold on them, and do not take it for yourselves, or you will be ensnared by it. See, what, what's being said here is that Pharaoh worships money. And so if you worship money, that's going to lead to slavery. Or we can think of a commandment like, Sabbath. In, in Pharaoh's world, uh, there was no concept of rest, that it was work, work, work all the time. Uh, in fact, you could probably translate uh, Pharaoh to rat race for us. Like when we talk about the rat race, this is what we're talking about. Another place we could look at just picking on some of the Ten Commandments is like do not covet, right? That that what Pharaoh did is he saw something and he wanted it and he just took it. That's Pharaoh's way. The way of Pharaoh is to just desire something and to go after it and not think about the consequences. And, and the real profound thing about the Ten Commandments really is all of this conversation about a new category that God wanted to bring into the world and truly redefine what it means to be a people. You see, the, the, all the do nots of these commandments are really for the sake of the community, to teach people how to live together. And there's a word that's repeated over 10 times in the 10 commandments. It's the word neighbor. This was a new category. This idea of neighborliness was not something that Pharaoh had. Pharaoh had enemies. Pharaoh had rivals and competitive ways of dealing with people, but God is saying, I want to teach you how to be neighbors. If you would follow these rules, you can be together in a way that no 
group of people has ever been together before. And you will stand out magnificently. This is picked up in 1 Peter in the New Testament. And it's expanded on. It's like a riff. It's like after Jesus came, now let's look back even again at this covenant that was made. But now let's just unpack it a little more now that we can look back and see what God has done since then. So 1 Peter writes it this way. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into a wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we learn in this text that what God had said he would do, he did. That he did make these people, these special people, this priesthood of all believers. And then he says this, if you know who Jesus is, then you are part of this type of community. (laughs) What a radical declaration to a people who are asking to go back to slavery. But this is how God views you and I able to keep the covenant, able to pray and act in a way where we can be faithful to our Heavenly Father, knowing that we have made mistakes, that we will continue to fall short. But the covenant keeper, our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has kept the covenant for us. And so he calls us out where once we weren't a people, now we are a people. I know for most of us, this again, is an overload moment. So if you need to tantrum, then do it. But just remember that God will be there to bring comfort at the end. And also, would you remember that if you would live in this way that's laid out here by these covenant commands in the Ten Commandments, that God could show us, that God could show us that it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. We can learn how to be neighbors and to care for each other and to have community and to stand out as God's people so that the world can see what it so desperately needs. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I um, pray that uh, you would help us to appeal to you, Lord Jesus, to bring our full selves to you and just say, God, would you hear us? We cry out to you. We cry out to you. And Lord, help us uh, to live into our commitments and to remember your faithfulness in all seasons. In your blessed and holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, One final thing that I need to do before we uh, sing again is uh, to just give you an update, and uh, it's not a good news update, so I'm sorry about that. But um, many of you knew Albert, who is on staff here at the church and does all the tech and custodial work, where he was diagnosed with COVID a little bit over a week ago, um, and it's gotten progressively worse. And so he's been in ICU for a while now. 
And so I just want to take a moment for this community. I know many of you on the prayer chain have already been praying for him, but for this community to pray for him. And I also want you to know that um, we fully endorse vaccines here and mask wearing, and we see that as a way to keep each other safe, and that also things change when it comes to the coronavirus, and that there's new information all the time, and so this church is doing the best that we can to keep everybody safe. And I've been praying all week for Albert, um, and so I'm just gonna ask you for uh, you to join with me in that prayer going forward, and hopefully uh, he'll get better and through this. And also his uh, family, pray for them as well. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, you would uh, be with Albert right now, Lord, in that hospital bed. I pray that your healing hand would be upon him. Lord, send this community um, in spirit to be with him, to bring him to full healing and restoration by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would be with Anne and with Tommy um, as they are in uh, recovery and doing better, but also just need peace for anxiety. Lord, I just pray uh, that uh, you would give this church any action steps that we would, might need to take in order to care for Albert and his family. And Lord, we just pray for healing in your land um, and for you to carry us on your eagle's wings and to bring comfort and hope. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Will you stand and we'll sing one last song together.